seems rather, there's no better word for it, bittersweet. In 1929, only the second year the Academy Awards were presented and the first year that the nominated films were talkies, the winner for the Best Actress Award was a veteran of the still kinda new business. Having been acting since age five, she made her first appearance on film 20 years earlier. Do you remember the movie she won for? It was called Coquette. No. It was about a young woman who defends her father after he's killed the man she loves. Based on a Broadway play, Helen Hayes did. Big hit. Nothing? Well, such is fame. In the years since, we can find other examples of big stars winning the highest honor and then seemingly fail to capitalize on that success. Kim Basinger after L.A. Confidential, Halle Berry after Monster's Ball, Cuba Gooding Jr. after Jerry Maguire, and so on. But someone else, of course, got there first. The star of Coquette had been the first major star of the silent era to jump into talkies with both feet, and it was a risk. She had also spent a good deal of her career from her teen years on playing innocents, young girls, sometimes boys, easier to do when you're five feet tall, and displaying a spirit that appealed to the movie-going public in the biggest way. And so in this new era of sound, it was a big deal to headline this story to play a woman, no longer the girl with the curls, and maybe no longer America's sweetheart, well, the movie did good business, and she won the award. But for Mary Pickford, it was the beginning of the twilight. You wouldn't recognize much about Toronto's University Avenue at the end of the 19th century. What today is officially designated Highway 11A with four lanes in either direction, north and south, was once almost rural-looking. The stretch between Queen Street and the Parliament buildings at Queen's Park was wide, but even in the 1890s not yet paved, and lined with great chestnut trees. The Mammoth Hospitals and Insurance Company buildings would come much later. University Avenue and its neighborhood, at the tail end of the Victorian era, were still safe enough for a little girl to explore on her bicycle. And it was in a little house on the east side of University, near Elm, that a little girl named Gladys Marie Smith was born in 1892. The house is long gone, and she wouldn't know the neighborhood now. But there's a plaque and a bust you can see today in front of the sick kids' hospital, paying tribute to her under her stage name of Mary Pickford. Chances are you haven't seen one of her films, but no kidding. For a good long while there in the early 1900s, she was the biggest star in the world. 
rivaled only by her friend Charlie Chaplin. She was arguably the first movie star. And this is a bigger deal than I thought. We might remember the names of the other silent stars of Pickford's time, Louise Brooks, Dorothy and Lillian Gish, Theda Barra, Clara Bow. But Pickford stands apart in several ways. From an artistic or a business standpoint, she was unusual. Her father had died when she was very young, and needing the money, her mother allowed little Gladys to forego regular schooling so she and then her two younger siblings could appear on stage in productions that toured North America. But it was Gladys who hounded Broadway producer David Belasco and insisted he hire her. "'So you want to be an actress?' he said to her. "'No, sir, I've been an actress. I want to be a good actress.' And he hired her. She was fourteen. It's a dizzying story to recount. Years later, she would say it was hard to believe it had all really happened. Within a couple of years, she was making movies. They were made in New York back then. And she would leave the stage for good, heading west to California as the industry realized it could film outdoors year-round there. She started off as an extra and took any part she could, soon being recognized for her long golden curls. She was smart smarter than any other woman you could name, and probably the men, too. After one day on set for Biograph Pictures, she got director D.W. Griffith to double her salary from the standard five to ten dollars a day. She was strong-willed, and when she saw with her own eyes that her films had lineups out in front of the cinemas and the others did not, she knew she was not getting a fair percentage of the profits. Time and again she renegotiated her contract, often playing good cop in the meetings as her mother Charlotte played bad cop. See, it wasn't just that she was the first movie star. She had it in her to shape the industry she was in as she went along, eventually leaving Griffith and working for years for Adolf Zukor, who founded Famous Players and eventually Paramount. It was a hugely profitable relationship for both sides, but when Zukor wouldn't meet Pickford's demands the next time around, she bolted. And in 1919, with Griffith, Chaplin, and future husband, the actor Douglas Fairbanks, she co-founded United Artists. Hollywood was a company town based on a studio system, and it was a vertical model. The studios signed actors, writers, directors to contracts, and made movies on their own property. Then prints of the movies would be sent out across America, around the world, largely to theaters they also owned. United Artists was an early and somewhat successful attempt to get around the studio's grip. It allowed the founding members and eventually other independent filmmakers to have control over the production of their own work and then provided a distribution arm that would book their films into theaters across the country that might otherwise be sitting unused. So Mary Pickford made her way producing and starring in her own movies, hiring the best directors, writers, and designers in control. How many actresses can say that today? That a woman accomplished that 90 years ago almost defies belief. A confluence of events ended her run at the top. Too old to play the kids' roles, but boxed in by a public who would not accept her as anything adult, she was, perhaps another Hollywood first, trapped. And she loved acting in silence and compared the coming of sound 
to putting lipstick on the Venus de Milo. But she was a smart producer and knew it was inevitable. Of the 249 titles she appeared in, only three would follow Coquette. By 1933, she was retired. Being the first movie star runs you the risk of being the first has-been. I appreciate the plaque on University Avenue, but she deserves a lot more. At least this. There are all kinds of clips on YouTube and a documentary about her on the PBS website. Libraries and video stores, where there are any, might carry some of her discs. It's worth a look. She might surprise you. And she wouldn't ask for more than the chance. Episode 11, America's Sweetheart. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Garner Firebird. Music